Now, uh, normally I get to uh, start a sermon with, take your Bibles and turn to, um, and that's our normal thing as we have a passage that we're walking through. Um, But if you've been with us recently, we're going through a a sermon series, Essentials of a Thriving Church, and so these are more topical in in nature. Um, And I gotta, I gotta, be honest with you, it's, it's, it's harder. <laughs> it's harder to prepare a topical message. Um, we, we do expository preaching mostly, and there, there's good reason for that, because we want to make sure that we're explaining the text as, the, as God has, has written it and as God holds it out. To not, and we want to be very careful not to just um, only teach our ideas and, and only go to the passages that we want, and so we're usually careful to, to do expository preaching and not, not just topical. Obviously, there's there's certain times and, and places for, for topical preaching. I, I was actually kind of making fun of Pastor Steffens because uh, he, he, uh, <laughs> he preached a topical message on expository preaching, <laughs> and that was the first, the first message I think it was, and so we were kind of joking with that, how well, that's not our normal thing. But uh, Yeah, so Essentials of a Thriving Church, I think I remember all of the ones we've covered so far. The, the first one was expository preaching, and so looking at Scripture and letting Scripture be our driving force in our, our study time. Um, and, and then secondly, Pastor Stephens brought us to the topic of the gospel and conversion, what that truly looks like, what the gospel, what the gospel is. And we looked at church membership, the importance of uh, not just attending, but, but partnering with um, the church. And then last week, we talked about sin. Um, a thriving church will take sin seriously uh, we also talked about church discipline and, and what that uh, looks like biblically. So this week we come to the, the topic of, of growth, of growth. And I don't know if you uh, looked at the front of the bulletin and you saw that word, growth. Um, I'm curious to know what you, what you thought of at first when you saw growth. Um, there's a lot of different uh, areas of, of growth that people like to focus on. Um, so, so what type of growth are we talking about? Uh, is it growth in, in numbers or growth in attendance or growth in finances? Um, new and, and uh, bigger buildings, new and better and bigger equipment, um, more people in the seats. Is that the, the type of growth we're talking about? I would say the, the American church is obsessed with growth in, in these ways obsessed with, with a growth that honestly isn't emphasized in, in the Bible. There's a different type of growth that's emphasized in Scripture. Um, maybe when you saw growth, you thought of growth in Bible knowledge. Growth in Bible knowledge. And of course, that's not a bad thing, as we're going to see. It's not a bad thing to, to grow in Bible knowledge. But can you grow in Bible knowledge and not be growing the way that God wants you to? can. You can be growing in, in knowledge, a head knowledge, and still not be growing in the way that God wants you, wants you to. So we're going to try to tackle this topic this morning, understanding um, growth biblically, a biblical understanding of, of growth. And I want to just start by talking about justification, salvation. Um, Pastor Stephens has, has talked a couple different times about this. Um, we are justified by faith and not of works, just as we've sung this morning. Not of, not of merit, but by the blood of Christ, we are justified, not of works. We don't earn our justification. It's an act of, of God. 
And we affirm that. We teach that. We preach that. We sing about that every Sunday. But if that's true about justification, then what's the big deal about growth? What's the big deal about growing? Like, like if I've been justified and my eternity is secure and God's going to bring me to that um, no matter what, then what's, what's the big deal about growth? Is growth really something to, to concern ourselves with? Is growth really something to concern ourselves with? So I don't know if you're going to be able to follow along in, in Scripture with all of these because tell, tell you what, like we're going to be booking it through a lot of these passages. So feel free, like it would be a crazy sword drill to try to get through all this. Feel free to, to follow along and, and, and flip to these passages, but just fair warning, uh, we're going to be putting them up on the screen and, and moving pretty quickly. So maybe it's just best to jot references down, but I won't tell you what to do. Matthew seven fifteen through 20. This is what Jesus says. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. First John, the Apostle John, says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which, we, which he walked. So the first point this morning is kind of just a foundational point. It's one that we've already talked about. But growth is the fruit of true conversion. Growth is the fruit of true conversion. Um, I, I used to think, that's just my kid. It's okay, he could cry. <laughs> he doesn't like my preaching. Um, I used to think early, early on in ministry that that it was my job to kind of convince Christians to obey God's word, um, that it was my job to kind of kind of, um, yeah, convince them, like, this is why you should obey God and his word. And the reality is that the more I study scripture and, and the more I do this, the reality is that a true believer loves God and wants to obey God's word. Uh, so it's not my job to convince you to obey God's word this morning. Um, it's my job to teach what obedience to God looks like. Uh, it's my job to encourage you to obey God's word. Uh, but if someone doesn't have the desire to grow, they don't have the desire to obey uh, God, I'm not saying that they'll be perfect. I'm not saying that we're all immediately 100% sanctified. But if we don't have that desire, uh, that's evidence of, of something deeper. Because growth or, or sanctification is a fruit. It is a result of true conversions, conversion. So, Christians sin. We do. It's just you, Pastor Dan. No. Christians sin, but we are not sinners. What I mean by that is that's not our identity. In fact, uh, that's, the, that's the argument in most of the New Testament is stop doing these things because that's not who you are anymore. That's what we read in Romans 6. Stop doing these things because that's not who you are anymore. We understand that we're, we're still in the flesh, but 
but that's not who you are anymore. That's not your identity. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Our identity is that we're dead to sin, so we should not continue to, to live in it. Sanctification will not be total until our bodies are, are glorified, but we should be growing. We should be progressing one step at a time. You often hear it referred to as progressive sanctification. No, that's not an insurance company. Or a, is it a soup company too? Is that progressive? Or Campbell's? I don't know. I'm getting confused with my marketing stuff. Um, but progressive sanctification, that incremental, incremental growth. Mark Dever kind of sums it up in a, a succinct way, I, I think. He says, things that are truly alive grow. And that's the point we're trying to make here is that things that are truly alive grow. If God has truly done a work in our life, in justification, there will be growth. There will be growth. I, I had a student one time um, make, make the comment to me, no, nobody in here, so you can relax, teenagers. Um, a student in, in the past say something to the effect of, you know, someone can walk or someone can continue to live as wickedly as possible and still be saved. And, and their understanding there was just that, oh, someone, someone prayed a prayer. It doesn't matter how their life looks after that. They can go on and live wickedly and, and, and just be involved in all manner of things. And, but because that because that was true, they, they prayed that prayer as a young child, they're still saved. Well, we, we've got to take a, a more biblical look at, at conversion. And I don't want to rehash all of this because Pastor um, spent a whole sermon on this, but I just thought it'd be good to reiterate some of these things, that, that growth is the fruit of, of true conversion. So the question for you this morning is, are you, are you growing? Are you growing? Maybe, maybe you could say that there's been a time in your life, in the past, when you grew. You can look fondly on uh, maybe a season of life. Oh, I, was really, I was really growing back then. But what about now? What about now? Are you growing? If you look at your life over the last few months, is there something that you are working on? Something that you are really pleading with the Lord in and, and, and seeking help in, in growing in? I hope that's the, the case. My prayer is that we never have the prideful attitude of, I've arrived, right? I've got nothing I need to work on. But my prayer is also that we never have the attitude of, well, that's just the way I am. I know I struggle with this or do this, but that's just the way I am. I, I, I've tried to change in the past and it hasn't worked. I can't. Well, as Christians, we should never have that attitude of that's just the way I am. We should always be seeking the Lord's help to grow. So if growth is something that will come, to those who are believers, are we, are we passive in that growth? Like, is it just something that, that happens? We can kind of sit back on the couch, just let it happen, right? Bring me the growth, Lord. Come on. Are we passive in it? Or do we have a work to be, be done? Um, there, there are certainly passages like this, Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we kind of look at that and we go, oh, boy, sit back. He'll, he'll bring it to completion. And yes, of course, that's what justification means. We've been saved. God, God, God's got final glorification in mind when we've been justified. But this isn't all there is to the story. Rick, I'm about to get really animated, so I was wondering if you could just bring my microphone down a bit because I'm, I don't want to shout too loud, but I'm a little bit louder than Pastor Seppens, so, so I don't want to send people going, that's good, now I can shout, good. Okay, so Philippians 2, 
uh, 12 through 13. I have to preach like this in order to keep myself engaged. So, so there you go. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, uh, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my, my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So growth, is it God or is it me? The answer is yes. When we're talking about sanctification, when we're talking about growth, God does the work. God works in me to to will and to work for his good pleasure. But what does Paul say right before that? Work out your salvation. Not work for, right? We're not earning it. I feel like I have to lay the groundwork again about that. We're not earning it. We're talking about growth. We're talking about sanctification, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Another one, Second Peter 1, 3 through 11. I gotta, I gotta admit, sometimes we read, verses like this, and they make us a little bit uncomfortable, okay? But, but here we go. This is in the Bible. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, oh yeah, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe an illustration here um, to, to drive home what we're talking about. Um, say say you, you come across a, a stranger in the street. Maybe he's a, a younger man, um, able-bodied, but he's on the street. He, he has no food or shelter, um, but he's healthy. He's capable. He, he's strong. And so you come across this individual, and you, you graciously give them a place to stay. You take care of their immediate physical needs. You, you feed them. Uh, you, you house them. But you care enough about that individual to know that just spoon-feeding them their needs indefinitely is not really what they actually need. That's not actually helpful for them. So, so you tell them, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. And so you, you buy them a portion of land, okay? Because in this illustration, you're rich, right? You buy them a portion of land. You give them all the tools and resources necessary to produce their own food. Um, and you spend quite a bit of time teaching them just a, a basic knowledge of, of gardening and harvesting, and maybe even a, a basic knowledge of, like, animal husbandry. Like, this is how you raise chickens. This is what you do. And, and you also, you, you take them and you connect them with, with local neighbors who are experts in this area, and they can help this person as well. So you, you make all those social connections for them. You set them up with everything they need to be fed, to be healthy, and, and to grow. All they have to do is, is what? Well, they have to do some cultivating. They have to do some planting. They have to do some, some weeding, some harvesting, maybe even reach out to, to some neighbors. There's work that's, that's necessary, but, but, but spring is here, and you feel confident that they have what they need, so you kind of leave them with it, and, and you go away for a little while. And then after the course of, of a month or two, you check back with your friend, and when you arrive, you immediately notice that your friend doesn't look so good, almost as if they haven't eaten in, in weeks. They look sickly and, and malnourished, and you kind of look around a little bit, and you kind of discover that, well, the ground hasn't been prepared for any sort of garden. Um, and all the garden tools and seeds and stuff, they're all right where you, you left them, and maybe the few chickens that you left them with are all dead or nowhere to be found. He hasn't lifted a finger. And, and so you, when you ask him, like, what, what happened? Like, why haven't you planted any food? Why didn't you put to use any of the things that I, I gave you? Did you call the, the neighbors to, to help you out? Imagine that scenario, and imagine him replying with, well, you said you'd help me out, or, or you said you'd take care of me. What would your response be? It would be, I, I did my best, but you have to put, put something into this. I, I use that illustration because, unfortunately, in the Christian life, it's often our, our attitude. Uh, we expect that growth will just kind of just happen. We expect that growth will just happen. And, and we maybe even cite verses like in 1 Corinthians 1 where it says, God, God gives the increase. Or maybe we go back to, to Philippians and say, well, it's God who works in me, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. And those are, those are true, but God's called us to plant and water, right? Paul planted, Apollos watered. Yeah, God gave the increase, but he uses means. He uses us. He calls us to action. So our second point this morning is that growth happens by God's grace, yes, and through our action and through our obedience. God calls us to grow. He aids us in our growth, but we have a responsibility in it. And, and I feel like I need to say this over and over again. Certainly, regarding our justification, we're saved by grace through faith. It's, it's not of our own doing. It's the gift of God. Right? Not a result of works so that no one can boast. But progressive sanctification, growth, it does involve our action. And, and understandably, we get a, a little nervous when we start talking about action and, and growth and, and, and works. We, we get a little, uh, um, a little nervous anytime you talk about works. And, and I want to be very careful that we, we should never grow prideful in our works. We should never go grow prideful in our action. But the reason that this is such an important topic is because I think sometimes we can get so lulled to sleep or, or so distracted in our Christian life that we forget to 
We forget to give honest, careful, intentional, practical thought to our spiritual growth. Practical, intentional thought to our spiritual growth. We, we constantly plan. We evaluate everything else in our lives, right? Like our calendars, our, our meal planning. Like we've got calendars that we, we write things out on. Financial planning, maybe. Maybe you're even planning out a career path if you're, if you're younger. You're planning out your kids' education. We plan for all of these things. We're very intentional and practical when it comes to those things. And then we don't get intentional and practical when it comes to our spiritual growth. So how intentional have you been in the area of your spiritual growth? How intentional have you been in the area of your spiritual growth? Do you get practical, right? Do you get practical? I'm a list person. I, I, I love lists. If you were to go in my office, there's probably 16 sticky notes um, of lists. And on my whiteboard, I write, write lists. I've got lists on my Apple Notes and things like that. I love crossing things off and achieving things. Um, the Bible's got lists in it. Okay, so if we want to be practical, we can look at some of these lists. Maybe the first one that, that you think of are the, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does anyone know that song? It's a great one. Thank you. Yep, it's a good one for learning the fruits of the Spirit. This is a list, right? And I understand that, that Paul is, is saying that these are the fruit of the Spirit. So as you walk in the Spirit, these are the things that will be produced in your life. But that doesn't mean that we can't put intentional effort into, into growing in these things. What would it look like to take these, these nine fruits of the Spirit and, and say, each week, I'm going to focus on one. I'm going to start with, with love. And, and this week, I'm going to pray that God would reveal areas in my life where I lack this quality. And I'm going to talk to those around me and say, hey, I'm really working on this thing. Will you pray for me? Will you help me in this? And then do a, a word study on, on love in, in the Bible and your devotions in the morning and, and really see what God's word has to say about it and spend the week praying for God's grace in that area. Is that practical? That's super practical. We're putting, we're putting uh, uh, wheels to this thing, putting legs to what we want to grow in. What about the things in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7? We're familiar with that one? Uh, these things like anger, lust, uh, honesty in our words, retaliation, right? Returning evil for evil, loving your enemies. Check, got that one done. What about pride in practicing your righteousness to be seen by others? Jesus talks about prayer and fasting. He talks about materialism and greed, right? Laying up treasures in heaven. He talks about fear and worry. He talks about hypocritical judgment. He talks about the golden rule. Now, the reason we're talking about these things is because you probably, probably don't need another sermon on these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You probably don't need another sermon on that. What we more often than not need is, I know this, now I need help applying this. I know this, now I need help implementing this into my life. I need to do the things that God called me to do. I just think it's so interesting how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. He ends the Sermon on the Mount with this parable of the wise man and the foolish man. Let's look at it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What was the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? There's a song with this too. The wise man built his house upon the sand. These are great songs, okay? We should be singing them all the time. Maybe we'll do them in our worship service, right? Um, What's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Is it that they, one heard and the other didn't? One heard the teachings of Jesus and the other just didn't hear the teachings of Jesus. No, that's not what Jesus says. Both heard the message. They sat in the Sunday school class. But what's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? The wise man does it. That's right. The wise man did it, okay? So I'm, I'm not suggesting when we're talking about lists and being practical, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we're ever done, like, growing in these things, like checking off the fruits of the Spirit, like, yep, mastered that one, on to the next one. This is only going to take me nine weeks. Great. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. But it should be our, our joy and it should be our intention to, to grow. Why? Why should we grow? Same Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, not for the sake of them seeing your good works, but for the sake of what? To give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, so, we magnify the glory of God when, when we talk about how I was a sinner and didn't deserve God's grace and he saved me. Right? We, we magnify his glory that way. But we also magnify God's glory when we grow. We magnify God's glory by showing his transforming grace. When we put into action these things that God has called us to. This growth that we're talking about is not, uh, it's not flashy, <laughs> and it's often messy. It's often messy, uh, and it's definitely not convenient, but it's the type of growth that God has called us to. It's the type of growth that God has called us to as individuals, and it's the type of growth that God has called us to as a, as a church. Is it just about a list of do's and don'ts? Is it just about a, a list of do's and don'ts, right? Um, did, did Jesus come to just give us a, a better list of rules to follow? Did Jesus come to, to just give some motivational speeches so that we'd be more inspired to obey? Is that what Jesus came to do? No, he came because our naturally rebellious hearts can't obey the way that they should. He came to die on the cross, bear the penalty of our sin. He came to shed his blood, the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant in which our heart of stone is replaced with the heart of flesh, the new covenant in which God writes his law on our hearts, the new covenant in which he gives us his spirit to produce in us what we could never produce on our own. So growth has to start with a conversation uh, of the gospel. Right? Namely, like what our, what our heart actually worships. So we're going to spend some time talking about worship here. Stick with me. Um, what, is, what is worship? Worship is, it's a word that's tossed a lot, around a lot. And sometimes when we say worship, we're often referring to just like the music part 
of the service, as if like what we're doing right now isn't worship, and as if um, as you're going about through through your week, uh, you're not you're not worshiping. Uh, wor- worship is much more than just church music. It, it's worth ship, right? Ascribing value to to something. If something is a value, worth, or or weight, then we count it worthy of our time, our energy and our devotion. And the message of the gospel begins with the fact that we've rebelled against our creator who is alone worthy of worship. We have chosen to assign ultimate value and worth and weight to ourselves. Our hardened hearts of stone cause us to live as if we ourselves are the ultimate authority. This is why um, you have individuals standing up at at the Grammys and uh, full-on doing Satan worship rituals. Um, just last week. I mean, if you haven't seen the videos and, and the imagery, um, check it out. Okay, so you've got Sam Smith and Kim Petras. I had never really heard of them, and then when I was talking to my teens about this, they're like, oh yeah, we know who that is. Um, popular, popular artists. One's a biological male who identifies as non-binary. Um, the other one is a biological, fe- biological male who identifies as a female, so she would refer to he would refer to himself as a transgender woman. And at the Grammys, they won, they won the uh, music duo of the year, something along those lines. And so it stood up, I'm the first transgender woman to ever win this award. Oh, great. The title of the song is Unholy. That's the title of, of the song, Unholy. That's the, that's the song they won the award for. So why not? Why not? We'll perform this song at the Grammys because this is the song that won, and so we'll do this pr- performance. And so you've got people in, in red, you've got flames in the background, and you've got all sorts of, of sexual dancing and, and things like that. And then if you are, are to look up the, the lyrics of that song, you'd very quickly realize what, what's all going on there. Are they worshiping Satan? Like, like, do they believe in a deity, Satan? Do they believe in, in a spiritual being like that? I'm not so sure. Um, but they do believe, they do worship the idea of Satan, and what's the idea of Satan? Well, well Satan's big uh, ideal is that I am my own God. I am my own authority, right? I, I don't need anyone telling me what I can and cannot do. I, I don't need anyone telling me what is right and what is wrong. I don't need anyone telling me what, what gender is. I don't need anyone telling me what sexuality is. I am my own God. And, and at the end of April or May, we've got uh, in, in, in Boston, Massachusetts, there's this big event that's being organized called SatanCon, right? SatanCon. People from all over are going to come to, to SatanCon. Uh, why? Are they worshiping Satan? Well, no, they explicitly say, ah, we're not actually worshiping Satan. But the idea that we are our own God, we are, we are the, the ones that uh, get to determine for ourselves what is right and wrong, ah, that's what we're all about. That's what SatanCon is about. That's, that's our world. That, that's, that's sin, Right? But through the redemption of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, believers are given a new heart, a soft heart of flesh. We are justified, sealed with the Spirit, promised an eternity of perfect joy and fellowship with God in a new earth and in glorified bodies. But although we've been freed from the penalty of sin, we live in the presence of sin. We see it all around us. We've been freed from the penalty of sin, but we still live in the presence of sin. We see it around us, and we even see it in our own flesh. And although we've been given a heart of flesh, we, we still need renewing. Although we've been promised a glorified body, free from the temptation of sin, someday 
we're still in the flesh today. The war has been won, but there's still a battle that we fight. Although we know God is God and we are not, and although we want to love him and serve him like we should, we struggle. And I struggle. So, so why, do I, why do I mention all this? I mention all this, and how, what does this have to do with, with growth? Well, because worship is foundational to growth. What we worship, what we love, what we describe as highest value, that is foundational to, to growth. Look what James says. That is really small. Get out your binoculars. This is what James says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your, your loves, the things that, that you value, the things that you love. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. There's that word again. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So, so we do what we do, our outward actions. We do what we do. Why? Because we want what we want. And we want what we want because we love what we love. There's things in our life, even as believers, there's things in our life that we have put too much value on. There's things in our life that sometimes take precedent over God, that we, I hate to use the word, but that we worship, that we idolize. And even believers can be guilty of this. We can be guilty of placing highest value on on things, on material things, on things like pleasure, things like power, things like praise of man. Right? We say, I need these things. But right worship is foundational to right growth. It's not just a, well, what's the list of do's and don'ts? Okay, that's the list of do's. I'm going to try my best to do that. If we start there, we're, we're, we're going to fail. We've got to reorient our heart. What am I worshiping? What am I loving? Is God at the center? So third here, growth happens as we foster a heart of worship and obedience. One of our uh, core values here at the church is growing in worship and obedience. And Pastor Jim and I were very careful when we picked those words because we, we don't want to be a church that's just about outward obedience. We don't want a church of, of Pharisees and, and hypocrites in that way. It's not to say obedience isn't important, but obedience grows out of a heart of worship. So growth happens as we foster a heart of worship and obedience. I've got three points under number three, but I, I, I promise you then we'll be done. You guys have been so patient, so, so gracious. Thank you. Worship and obedience are two sides of the same coin. Worship and obedience are two sides of the same coin. True worship always includes obedience. True worship always includes obedience. True obedience is done from a heart of worship. I'm going to say those things again because I think they're so good. True worship always includes obedience, and true obedience is done from a heart of worship. Jesus said uh, in John 14, very simple, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The evidence of your love for me, when, when I am 
where I should be on the priority list, obedience will will follow. Um, We kind of live in an interesting time, at least when we look at the church in America, uh, because many in America today claim the name of Jesus, claim the, the, the title of Christian, but reject Scripture's authority in, in many different areas. I, I hear it often, um, just in various different places. I love Jesus. He's my Savior. Jesus, Jesus, yes. But I disagree with the things he said about marriage and sexuality. Well, you're, you're a Christian? You, you love Jesus? He's your Savior? You, you, you want to devote everything to him? But, but we're not willing to obey and follow the things that he, he said. So, so here at, at our church, we don't want to be people who just worship God with our lips, right? I surrender some. I surrender some. Some, not all, to thee, my Savior. I surrender some. What if we sang it? What if we sang that? What if we closed our service with that? That's not, you say, that's not true worship. You surrender some, like if he's worthy of it, then we should want to surrender all. Do we always do that perfectly? No, but we should have a desire to, to submit and love him the way that we should, right? We don't want to be the type of church that just praises him with our lips, but we want to be the type of church that, that praises him with our, our lives. So worship and obedience are two sides of the same coin. Next year, worship and obedience should be informed by a right knowledge of Scripture, okay? A right knowledge of Scripture. We should know the truth. We should know the truth. When, when I say words like, uh, like doctrine or theology, some of you, your hearts just thrill, right? Oh, doctrine, theology, yes, more. I've got my books. I've got my study Bibles. I've got my, my, uh, my systematic theologies. Some of you are just really excited about that. Others of you, when I say doctrine and theology, you're just kind of like, uh, and your eyes glaze over, and you fall into a stupor uh, of, of boredom. Um, but Doctrine is teaching, and theology is the study of God. And we should all want that. We, we should all be involved in that. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. Paul says this when he's talking to Timothy, I, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So Paul is saying, the things that, that I taught you, the things that are contained in Scripture, that is doctrine, that is scriptural teaching, and it's your job to protect that. It's your job to, to charge this certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Sometimes we have this, this allergy to, to knowledge, right? Like, oh, I mean, it's really just about my heart, and as long as I come and I kind of worship, um, and I don't do things that are too bad, like, it doesn't really matter if I study or learn or, or grow in the area of knowledge. And Scripture's just got a, a different take on that, right? We see this, this word knowledge throughout the New Testament. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How do we get the knowledge of God? Well, yeah, we have the Spirit, but he's given us his word to study, to learn from, right? Again, in Colossians chapter 3, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We should, 
want to learn and grow and understand doctrine and theology so that we can understand God better, right? And so that we can live more pleasing to him and obey him um, more, more faithfully. I love, there, there's a study that came out recently. It's by, um, by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. They partner with each other every couple of years to do this. Uh, they call it the, the state of theology, right? So they survey a bunch of people, get their thoughts on different doctrines, and then they just publish the results. And so if you go to stateoftheology.com, I think, is, is you can see all of this here. So I, I put a few of them up on the screen. Um, to kind of notice here, this is the question that they asked, and this was just U.S. adult findings. So this is just the U.S. in general, not necessarily Christians, um, but they asked the question, the Bible, or I guess they made this statement, and they were asked, do you agree or disagree? So they stated, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Um, agree or disagree? So you can kind of see the breakdown there. In, in 2022, uh, 53% uh, agreed with that. And that's just not, not literally true. Um, that kind of basically what you'd expect from all adults generally in the U.S. When it gets really interesting is when they, they study evangelicals specifically. They ask people who are Christians specifically what they believe about certain things. Um, so the statement, this is a U.S. evangelicals. So people who say they're, they're, they're believers um, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. So this kind of denies God's uh, uh, omniscience, that he doesn't know everything that's going to happen. It's called open theism, like God doesn't know the future. God just learns and adapts to different circumstances. Almost half of people who are Christians agree with that? That's a little concerning. Okay, let's look other ones here. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. So bye-bye doctrine of original sin. 65% of U.S. evangelicals? Am I reading that right? 65% agree with that statement. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. No, no original sin from Adam. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 2022, U.S. evangelicals, 56% agree. Um, can't remember how many of these I've got. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Can you call yourself a Christian if you, if you believe that? If you say that's true, can you say I'm a Christian? But 43% of U.S. evangelicals said, oh, I, I agree with that. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was, uh, he was not God. Um, so does theology matter? Does, does what you believe about those things matter? Or is that just kind of like, ah, oh, that's for the bookworms, that's for the pastors to try to figure out? No, all of those things matter because doctrine is practical. If our understanding of God is wrong, then the way we're going to live it, live it out is going to be wrong. And so we're called to, to grow in this area as well. Our, our obedience must be informed by a right knowledge of Scripture. And then last year, uh, we have the responsibility to foster worship and obedience in our homes and in our churches. Okay? I, I wish I could just preach a whole sermon about this one, this point in, in, in general. But we have this responsibility to foster worship and obedience in our homes and in our church. Um, this is the second generation of Israelites after they had come out of the land of Egypt. The first generation complained, rebelled, and so they died in the wilderness. This is the new generation, and this is what Moses is speaking to them. He says, uh, this, is, this is what uh, you, you should do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, throughout the course of life, all day, talk about them. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What charge did he give them? Tell the next generation about God. Tell the next generation about this, this covenant that I have with you. Tell the next generation about God. And, and things don't go so well for Israel. They're brought into the promised land. They're supposed to drive out the, the people. Um, Joshua does a great job of that. But this is what we read in the beginning of the book of Judges. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And it happens again. There's a, there's a bright st- spot with King David and even Solomon. But then after that, the divided monarchy and uh, things deteriorate. There's bad king after bad king after bad king. And then Josiah comes along, and they're kind of uh, revamping the temple. They're kind of repairing the temple, and they discover the book of the law. It's like, wait a second, what? God's people discover the book of the law? The, the thing that was foundational to, to them as a people they're discovering it anew. And so Josiah institutes all these different reforms. Um, but we see after him that things deteriorate more and more. Each generation bears the responsibility of teaching the next generation. Each generation bears that responsibility. I don't want <laughs> the chronicle of my life to, to look like Judges chapter 2, where the next generation rises up and they didn't know the Lord. I don't want to leave that kind of legacy, and I trust that you don't either. So in the home is where that starts, okay? In the home is when that starts. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He set up this authority structure, right? Parents, you are given authority by God to be the parent of your child, not their best friend, uh, not their buddy, not the one that just clothes them and feeds them, but to be their authority, right? To teach them what it is to obey, to teach them what it is to have someone in authority over them, because if they don't know how to obey you, they, they won't know how to obey God. That's our, that's our job. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You are to have this authority over your kids. You're to, you're to teach them Right? Now, I've got some uh, pictures up here. I gave King Trident and Ariel sweaters because they weren't appropriately dressed for church. Um, But this is just a few examples. Uh, How many Disney movies follow this rough outline? Number one, there's a young person who wants to do something. Number two, their parents say, no, it's not wise. Don't do it. Number three, Young person follows their heart, 
and does it anyway. Number four, everything turns out for the best. And number five, the parents admit they were wrong. There's, there's more than just the three that I put up there, but those are the ones that are most obvious to me. Um, subtle, and I'm not, I'm not like a you know, tin hat kind of person, like, oh, guard against everything, and everything's, you know. But, but what is this teaching subtly our young people? What does it teach them? It subtly teaches them that, you know, your parents, they say a lot of things, but uh, you just really need to, discover who you are. And the only way you're going to discover who you are is if you get out from under their authority. And you know what? Usually it works out pretty good in the end anyways. Subtle. It's not going to come through the front door and say that, but that's what's being, that's what's being taught. So we have to guard against this. We have, to be, we have to be so mindful of this because God has given you authority over your children to bring them up in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. So it's okay to tell your kids no. It's okay to have rules. Um, it's not like we run a, a, a monastery in, in our home, um, but it's okay to teach your kids the Bible. It's okay to teach them that God is our authority, and that authority has placed me as your parent over you to love you and care for you and teach you what's right and wrong. We're called to do that. You, you teach your kids with, with your words, so don't squander the, the time that you have with them in the car to and from church. What'd you learn in junior church? What'd you learn in Sunday school? How can we apply that? Right? Don't squander that time at the dinner table. Um, there are resources that Pastor Jim and I have put on the back shelf here, just a few that you can check out as parents. If you really want to be intentional and practical with these things, there's some resources back there that, that would be helpful. Um, but that's what we're called to do in, in the home. We're also called to do it in the church. Um, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. Sometimes we get it in our mind that the ministry is for the ministers. Ministry, that, that's for the pastors, that's for the deacons, that's for um, you know, the Sunday school teachers. It's the, the professionals, really. That, that's where ministry happens. But Scripture teaches that Pastor Jim and I are here and our teachers are here to equip you for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking in the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We all have a part in this. We're all doing this. We're all coming together to foster worship and obedience in each other's lives. We're stirring one another up to love and good works. Um, just as we kind of close, I, I would just ask that you partner with Pastor Jim and I as we pray for church growth. We pray for church growth, not, um, not growth that comes from a charismatic, um, you know, well-spoken uh, preacher personality or, or even growth that comes from 
like a polished professional worship experience or, or a growth that comes from a, a, a good marketing visual effects team. Um, but pray for the kind of growth that we've talked about this morning. Um, gospel growth. Hearts that are warm, hearts that are yielded to God, young people that are being brought up to love the Lord and to obey the Lord. Um, we'll, we'll have a sermon on evangelism and, and outreach, but outreach and evangelism come from an overflow of a church that is healthy. Um, and with outreach and evangelism, we're not just called to go and, and baptize. We're not just kind of called to go and share the gospel, but we're also called to, to teach. Um, that is to incorporate believers into a healthy, spiritually growing church. And so that's what Pastor Jim and I want. That's what we think Scripture is, is leading us to do. Um, and I would just ask that you, you pray for that and take the steps in your own life that you need to take. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have your word. Um, Lord, thank you that we don't have to rely on our own wisdom for what it is we think we might uh, be called to do, but you are just very clear the things that you've called us to do as, a, as individuals and, and also as a church. Lord, I pray that we would never, never have the prideful, arrogant attitude of, of, of moralism or of um, um, piety, religiosity, being a Pharisee where uh, we just do these outward things and look down on others because they don't. I, I pray that that would never be our heart. But Lord, I do pray for soft hearts that have you in your proper place. And I do pray that you would help us uh, stir one another up to, um, to obey and to implement in our lives the, the things that we say we believe. We need your grace for that, Lord. We need your power for that. We ask all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.